0: Let's play a quick game of truth or myth. You ready? Here's the statement. It is impossible to make a decent living as an influencer unless you have at least 100,000 followers. Or, okay, at least 50,000 followers. That, my friends, is a myth. And today's guest, Kaya Marriott, has absolutely busted this huge myth of the influencer industry. Today, I am so excited to be chatting with Kaya, who is the creator behind Comfy Girl with Curls. She's a Vancouver-based creator with a deep love for storytelling and community. Starting as a natural hair blogger in 2016, aiming to help fellow black women fall in love with their curls, her platform has not only expanded to share lifestyle content, beauty tips, and practical advice for fellow creators, but has seen her speak with Google at VidCon Abu Dhabi and become a founding member of Pinterest Canada's creator class and more. And of course, what we're going to be talking about in today's episode is how Kea managed to bring in over $70,000 in brand deal revenue with less than 10,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah, you heard me right. This is some seriously impressive stats. And of course, when I came across Kaya's now viral TikTok talking about her influencer income for 2021, I knew I had to reach out. So, yeah, that's actually how I found Kaya. It was through a video on my For You page. I sent her a DM and I said, I would love to have you on the Creator Club podcast because I know all of us would love to learn how she was able to make 70K in a year with less than 10,000 followers. because. That is seriously impressive, and I know that I could personally learn a thing or two from her. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about her journey as a content creator and how she started incorporating brand deals into her creator content strategy in an organic way that connected with her audience and ultimately led to a very impressive revenue figure for 2021. So if you want to learn how you can start making a significant income as a micro-influencer, then don't press that pause button because we have a great episode coming your way. Welcome to the Creator Club podcast, produced by Creatorly Media. I'm your host, Katie Steckley. I'm a side hustle YouTuber turned six figure CEO that's obsessed with social media, making content, and building communities. Here on the Creator Club podcast, we dive deep into the social media and content creation strategies that are important to you as a creator. Whether you want to grow on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, or with a podcast, we've got advice for you, so stay tuned for my workshop-style solo shows and the occasional expert interview. Oh, and by the way, this club is open to everyone. Whether you have one or one million followers, there's a seat for you at the table, so let's get into it. dive into the interview with kaya of course i have to give a massive shout out to the reviewer of the week which comes from miss meg h this review is titled first timer and meg writes i just listened to how to build a consistent brand this was my first experience with this podcast and i thoroughly enjoyed it i have a design background but have trial and errored a lot as we built our business brand on social media i look forward to diving into more episodes Thank you, Meg, for that super kind review. I'm so glad that you found me here at the Creator Club Podcast. I'm continually impressed by how many of y'all have found the show through just searching for stuff in Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. So welcome here if you're new. This is going to be a great episode to start with. I don't always do interviews here on the show, but I knew it'd be amazing to chat with Kea and get her expertise, so I can't wait to share it with you. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Welcome back to the Creator Club podcast. Today I have a very special guest, Kea Marriott, AKA Comfy Girl with Curls. Now I discovered Kea on my TikTok for you page through a viral video of hers that was talking about how she was able to bring in over $70,000 in brand new revenue with less than 10K followers. Now, obviously my attention was immediately grabbed. And so I started binging her content and I reached out to her. I was like, I need to have this girl on my podcast. So I'm so happy that she agreed to join us on the Creator Club podcast today. So welcome, Kea.
1: Thank you so much. It is such an honor to be here. I love talking everything that has to do with content creation.
0: Well, I am so excited to learn all of your secrets today. But of course, your journey as a creator has been so much more than just the viral TikTok that I stumbled across a little while ago. So I would love to learn more about how you got started and how you kind of initially began growing your presence online as Comfy Girl with Curls. So how did that journey begin?
1: So I started back in 2016. That's when I first launched my blog. And it was primarily focused around documenting my natural hair journey that's you know learning to embrace and take care of my hair texture and at the time I really just hoped that in sharing my tips and thoughts on different products that hopefully I would be able to you know help out or inspire one other person more of me and more of my life and In recent years, it kind of shifted into more of a lifestyle brand, and I love sharing tips and tricks across the board, so as I started to really get a hold of blogging and learn more more about content creation, I started sharing content creation tips because I wanted to be able to help anybody who was looking to break into that space as well.
0: I love that. We love a creator who evolves as time goes on and you learn new Mm -hmm. things and sharing those secrets with other people is just awesome. Obviously what really popped off for you recently on TikTok was your story about how you were able to generate so much revenue with, you know, a modest following. Mm -hmm. And obviously that starts from somewhere. You can't just see those kind of results overnight. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about your first sort of venturing into doing paid partnerships. Like what was your first ever brand deal like? How did it kind of come your way? Um, and I guess what did you learn through that sort of first ever brand deal process?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I always say to anybody when they reach out to me asking for tips is I have been in this for the long game. I know there's people out there that grow a lot quicker that, you know, get brand deals a lot quicker but I've been at it for six years and I only really started making money two years ago uh, 2020 but my first technical brand deal was in 2019 so incredibly much I got paid 75 dollars for three massive rounds of content, even though I had followed the instructions perfectly, they had all of these uh, reviews and critiques that they wanted. Even though they approved, it worth the seventy five dollars, and I just was so worn down by that experience that, a at the time, I was like, I don't even know how I could. Anybody could make this a full time job if I'm spending you know, it was weeks of my life for $75. And the second was that it kind of made me say, okay, well, if I am going to continue doing this, I don't want to experience that again. So I'm going to make sure that A, I ask for more. B, I get the terms out really clear. I'm reviewing my contract. So I know how many rounds of revision we can do. And yeah, just making sure that I am content with a campaign and the terms of the campaign before uh signing a contract
0: yeah i feel like every creator goes through that kind of process where you are just so excited to have this opportunity like you feel like you're so legit because you finally are getting paid to make content and so at least i found myself to to have the tendency to agree to stuff that it's like oh, i really should have been asking more for that or um you know just maybe offering to do less or, or whatever. Um, but I think because it's a job that's so um, romanticized and people are so like, they glamorize the idea of being an influencer or doing brand deals that often we find ourselves in this position where we're like, well, I'll do anything to get a brand deal. And then you end up like way over promising and then not getting paid a fair rate.
1: That's exactly it. And actually this, in this instant, it was a big brand and I was so truly honored and I mean to this day I am so grateful that they reached out but it was clear that they had the upper hand they were experienced in negotiating and that was my first deal ever and I just was adopting that I'm happy to be here I'll do anything exactly like you say and in a sense I got taken advantage of.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that is so common. And it's just part of the growing process as a beginner creator, which hopefully like us sharing stuff like this can help people get over that hurdle a little bit sooner. Because I do think that Um, kind of micro influencers, um, or beginner creators are getting taken advantage of in that situation because you just feel like, oh, I'm so lucky to be chosen. But then in reality, as a creator, we like offer so much value to these brands. So we just have to be aware of that when we go into the negotiation. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So then after you kind of learned those things through that first sort of crazy $75 brand deal, what kind of processes did you start putting in place to help you negotiate better? Because I think that is a big struggle that a lot of people have too, is like asking for what they believe they're worth and then kind of sticking to that. So what was that like for you?
1: I would say it's a, it was and still is a constant journey. So. The way I look at rates, for example, I don't see them as a static thing. I don't say, "Hey, these are my rates. This is my number. This is my number for life." I am quite honestly increasing my rates probably every other brand deal, and that's because from each negotiation, I'm learning something. So maybe it's the fact that I put numbers out there and a brand didn't negotiate. They just said, "Yep, good. Let's do it. Let's sign the contract." Then I'm like, "Ooh, they." Didn't argue with me. My rates were too low. We got to raise them. Sometimes, you know, I have more experience under my belt. I maybe invested new in new gear. My audience has grown, so I feel like every conversation I'm going into with a brand, I have something new to bring to the table, or I have a lesson to, that has taught me how to negotiate better. And I think also leaning on community because through podcasts and friendships and Blog posts and all these things, I've learned a lot there too. So I started leveraging digital usage rights, exclusivity, all of these extra things that I could add into a negotiation to make sure that A, I wasn't getting taken advantage of, and B, to leverage more money out of them.
0: Totally. And I want to talk about all those different technical pieces because I feel like you just named a few things that I've just recently learned about. And it'd be great for us to share with the audience what all of those different, you know, digital usage rights and stuff are, but I did just want to say that I think it's so smart to be continually increasing those rates because you're right, you're gaining knowledge, your audience is growing. And it kind of reminds me, um, of this photographer friend of mine who was telling me that um, when she first got into wedding photography and she was really, um, you know, really increasing her skills and getting better every time, she would start booking weddings out into the future. And she would say to herself, okay, I know I'm gonna shoot five more weddings before I do this one. So I'm gonna increase my rate to reflect the skills that I know I'm gonna gain over that time. And that kind of like blew my mind when she told me that, but it really makes sense. And like any other business, as you're able to offer more value, your rates should reflect that. So I think that's just a really good way to go about it.
1: Oh, that's brilliant about your friend. That blew my mind too.
0: I know. Right. I was like, wow. Yeah. You, your experience is worth something, which sounds so obvious, but I feel like when you're thinking about it in terms of yourself, it can feel hard to kind of own that. Um, but like I was saying before, let's dive into some of that nitty gritty, because I'd love to hear, um, a little bit more explanation of, um, yeah, what does it mean um, to allow a brand usage rights for the content? What does the exclusivity piece look like? And for somebody who's brand new to brand deals, how would you explain those different things and how much extra you should be charging or, or what to look out for in those contracts with brands?
1: Absolutely. So I guess first up, I would say digital usage, right? So that is honestly the brand's license to use your content in any Format. You could also do usage rights for print, but I feel like that's a lot less common nowadays. Brands might want to use your content in a newsletter, on their website, to run ads behind, um, just on their leads. And if they are doing that, there is a chance that they are getting profit, they are making more money off of your image, off of your content. And so you should be compensated for that. And I think a lot of early influencers have the horror story of, you know, finding their content on a brand's page or somebody messaging them, hey, is this you in one of their ads? And you never were compensated for that because you didn't read the fine print of a contract. And so usually that's going to be either usage rights or maybe it's saying that the brand owns the content. We want to stay away from that completely. Mm -hmm. And so when I negotiate with a brand about usage rights, the first thing is if it says they own the content or they get to use it in perpetuity, it's an immediate no for me because Mm -hmm. I know that in that moment, I align with that brand and their values and I stand behind them, but who knows what happens in the future I don't want them using my face to cover up a faux pas who exactly. knows, right? and saying mm-hmm. this person is our biggest fan. So for me, I never sign away usage rights more than six months at a time. If a brand wants to come back at the end of that six months and renew for another, then by all means. Um, but my personal rate is that I will usually do 50% of our agreed upon content creation rate. Mm -hmm. per month of digital usage. Wow. That mm -hmm. is
0: so helpful to know. I am realizing how much I'm undercharging.
1: Ooh, (laughs) I do know that, um, some people charge a little less, but for me, I have put that forward and brands will usually either do one of three things. They will drop usage rights altogether and say, yeah, no. Um, Or they will try to negotiate with you on the price of the usage rights, which is perfectly fine. And three, sometimes they'll say, okay, well then let's just shorten it to one month or two months and we'll renew it if necessary. Mm -hmm.
0: I feel like this, the whole usage rights piece is something that I am just like now kind of becoming more aware of and the importance of it because... I also do have one of those uh, classic horror stories where um, an earlier brand that I did quite a while ago, um, part of the agreement, which I didn't think much of at the time, because it was the first time I'd seen it, was that they would be able to use um, part, it was for a YouTube video, that they'd be able to use the section that I made promoting them um, in Facebook ad campaigns and that they mm. would um, advertise to my Facebook audience and, you know, at the time I'm just like, yeah, this is a great brand deal. i going to just like lock this down and agree to it. Um, and then, you know, I obviously I stood by the product and the company and I believed in what I was promoting, but I was thinking that my audience would have exposure to it through a one minute segment in one YouTube video. And what ended up happening is that my audience had exposure to it through a one minute Facebook ad that they were seeing like every single day. And I started getting comments of people saying like, Oh, you know, I see this all the time or, you know, just being kind of, I feel like any Facebook ad that you run is going to get some negative comments. That's sort of the nature of it. But I didn't realize like how much they were going to be pushing it. Um, And I didn't charge anything extra for that. And this was going on for months. And eventually I emailed them and I said, hey, you know, that like we agreed to this, but I've just been getting some feedback from my audience that it's getting really repetitive. And I just don't think that this is, I think this is harming more than it's helping at this point. Uh, and they were receptive to that yeah. and they like, yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll stop running the ad. Um, but I think what I learned through that is just how much control you're handing over to a brand when you do let them use your content in whatever way they see fit. Um, and it's kind of scary.
1: Yes. Oh my goodness. And kudos to you for emailing them because I've had something kind of similar happen where a brand puts money behind an ad. And like you say, you can't control the comments and almost always I've had negativity. Yeah. (laughs) And because what's happening is when a brand puts money behind it, yes, it's going to your audience, but it's also going to people who don't know you and you haven't built up that trust and rapport with I had an ad end up on anti-mask Facebook oh, no. and I was wearing a mask in the image, oh yes. And I, it was hundreds of messages long of hate. <laughs> and that's another reason why I say I charge 50% because you are, the brand is not able to control how people respond to my content outside of my own network and community. So you know what, they, they gotta pay up for that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. It's worth something to like put yourself out there and endure that kind of harassment that I think just does kind of, unfortunately, it's the internet when your content gets out in a way that is not controlled by the typical algorithm. So boosting posts, for instance, that's when you start to kind of get in front of the eyeballs of people that might not vibe with your values, like ending up on anti-mask Facebook, like that seems like the worst place to be. So yeah, I feel like it's the kind of thing (laughs) you have to make, you have to make sure that you charge for that. So that's the digital usage rights piece of it. So what does um, negotiating for like exclusivity look like and what does that mean for your content?
1: Yeah. So with exclusivity, that is usually when a brand says, Hey, we don't want you to work with any competitors for this set amount of time. And usually it's A set amount of time before and after you posting your content. And because we are content creators and we make money by making content and partnering with brands, us saying no to competitors means that we might be saying no to income. So brands have to pay for exclusivity. If they don't want you to work with anybody else, they have to cover your potentially missed income. So I look at exclusivity two ways. Um, It depends on how broad the ask is. So I like to give the example, which is funny because I'm lactose intolerant. (laughs) um, (laughs) If I'm working (laughs) with a yogurt brand and they say, okay, you can't work or you can't collaborate with any other yogurt products my exclusivity rate for that is probably not going to be that high. I might do like 20% of our agreed upon rate because the likelihood of me working with another yogurt brand during that time frame is pretty low. But if they broaden it and say, okay, it's dairy companies or maybe it's food companies, even, that number that they're going to pay per month of exclusivity will go up. So It really is not a set number for me. It really depends on how broad the category is. I actually had to say no to a very lucrative brand deal where it was going to be five figures, but they wanted me to not work with any other um, grocery stores. And while on paper that sounded great, I'm like, okay, I can stick to one grocery store. I work with a lot of beauty brands that want me to call out their local grocery stores that I can find it in or their local. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, um, and drugstores too. So I was like, Hey, can we omit beauty from this exclusivity rate or clause? And they said, no, sorry. It's a hard line. And I had to pass on the opportunity because they did not want to pay my exclusivity rate, which I calculated as Mm 8,400. And I calculated that based on my last three months of work with brands that would have been captured under that exclusivity clause. So I had a very firm example to them to say, hey, I would be losing this much if you wanted exclusivity for three months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you can either pay that so that you're covering me or um, I have to walk away. I'm sorry. So Mm -hmm. they were not willing to pay the exclusivity. They were not willing to omit beauty. I was really open to negotiating that. Um, So I unfortunately had to walk away. Oh,
0: yeah, that is so tough when something seems like a great opportunity. But you do really have to look out for yourself that way. Because yeah, you had very concrete evidence of like, this is the income I could be missing out on if I take this deal. And then yeah. Uh, kudos to you for walking away. Cause I think that is really hard to turn down an opportunity that you feel like aligns with your brand and your values. But when the contract just doesn't shake out right, then yeah, you do have
1: to just like kind of stick to your guns and, and turn it down. Yeah. It, it hurt in the moment, but I will be honest. That was at the end of last year. And saying no to that has already opened up opportunities that I wouldn't have been able to do if I said yes. So Mm, it was for the best.
0: Yeah. It always feels good when you're like, yeah, you know what? I made the right call on that. Yeah. Okay. So live trainings, webinars, live streams, whatever you want to call them, we all know that they can be a super effective way to connect with your audience and an even better way to convert your audience into customers But so many creators are too intimidated to start using webinars in their sales strategy because the tech seems tough to figure out. But effective sales webinars don't have to be out of reach with Webinar Geek. Webinar Geek is a web browser-based app that lets you host engaging and interactive webinars entirely from your web browser. No software downloads necessary. Webinar Geek checks all the boxes you're looking for in a webinar app. They're GDPR compliant data privacy is their top priority. Webinar Geek also allows you to host up to 4,000 attendees, so you've got lots of space for all your most engaged followers to join in. If you've been dreaming of trying webinars, but you've been too scared to start, this is your sign. Webinar Geek is the perfect tool for you. You can check out WebinarGeek at WebinarGeek.com. Okay, cool. So we've covered what digital usage rights look like and exclusivity. So that's all really important stuff to think about when you're negotiating with a brand. But I think the question that probably a lot of folks who are listening would have is kind of a few steps back in the process. And that is, how do you actually find all these brand deals? Like where do they come from? And I think especially a lot of smaller creators uh, wonder that because yeah, it's kind of like, do we go to these like network sites where we like apply for these deals? Do I have to get a manager to find them for me? Maybe you could tell us about how you find all the brands that you work with.
1: Of course. So I feel incredibly fortunate that last year with all of the money I made, I only pitched two brands. Everybody else came to me and I definitely believe in pitching it's a great way to take control of your brand but of course that sweet spot is to be where you don't even have to pitch mm-hmm. and I credit brands reaching out to a couple things because I feel like I am very intentional about making sure my feed is attractive to brands and that I'm doing the work to attract them Ooh, so yeah, let's the talk first- about that. Yeah. So the first thing I say is your feed needs to be a portfolio. If a brand comes to your page and cannot see where they fit in, they're going to move on to the next. So if you are brand new and have never had a brand deal, go into your bathroom. What are you using organically? What do you think will be helpful to your audience? What will resonate with them? And create content around it the same way you would if it was sponsored content. And that's great for two reasons. The first, you are giving back to your community. You know, you're supporting them. You're sharing your favorite stuff that will help them out. And second, it helps your feed be full of examples for brands of what you can do. And I have had that happen in the past where I created some content talking about my favorite hair care brands and it was super organic. I just wanted to share them with my audience and a brand emailed me and said, hey, we want you to review our products. We'd love to pay you. And they linked that photo and said, can you do something just like this? That's awesome. The second way that I work to attract brands is through hashtags, and this one I find is a bit counterintuitive because when we're doing hashtag research, a lot of the time we are looking for the ones that are going to give us the most reach, the ones that are going to help us connect with our audience, and all of those are incredibly important, but I like to include some that I suspect that brands are looking at, that PR agencies might be looking at, so those are going to be tags that are descriptive of who I am and what I do. So I have a lot of black blogger, black influencer, Vancouver influencer, Canadian influencer, and brands have honestly told me that that's how they found me. And a lot of these hashtags aren't very competitive. Um, Not a lot of people are using them. So you have a higher chance of reaching the top nine or in showing up in people's feeds if they're actively following them. And it's just a great way to get every post that you make on somebody's
0: radar. That's super smart. I feel like so often when we think about hashtags, we're thinking about trying to get in front of the eyeballs of our potential audience, which, you know, is a fine aim for hashtags. But when you think about it, I actually do think that um, like PR agencies or people that you know, like. You know, brand partnership managers, they're actually probably more likely to be scrolling through hashtags than just like your average Instagram user. So using those kind mm-hmm. of hashtags to reach those people, genius. Do you also try to do um, any kind of like SEO optimization with like your bio or like keywords like using in your content even? Um, is that like something that you consider?
1: Yes and no. So I find the... The latest launch with Instagram, where they're talking about um, using keywords in your posts, which is a great recommendation, but I haven't really included that in my strategy yet. But I do keep keywords in my bio, and I don't limit that just to Instagram. I do the same thing on Pinterest. I have it on Twitter, I believe. Not that many people are looking on Twitter, though. Uh, But most importantly, on my blog and a blog. It's what I own. It's my own little corner of the internet. I can put a lot of effort into SEO there. And so I actually have a blog post dedicated to Black Canadian content creators. And that post ranks very well on Google. It might have changed, but last time I checked, if you type in Black Canadian content creator, it is one of the first spots on Google. So if anybody's looking for that this list pops up, and the funny thing is, I actually didn't put myself on this list at first. I was just trying to hype up people in my community. So humble, <laughs> so humble. <laughs> I, well, it, the whole idea, like, it felt really silly to put myself on it. Um, but it was actually a friend of mine that was like, "You know what? You gotta, you gotta take advantage of this." So I went back and I put myself as content creator number zero because it was a list of thirty. I didn't want to mess with the number. And I have also had brands reach out to me telling me that's how they found me as well.
0: Hmm. I feel like SEO is so powerful, especially outside of, of Instagram. I, I think that increasingly search is becoming more important within the app, but having a platform like a blog or even Pinterest or a YouTube channel um, that are more sort of searchable platforms, I think can be a really, really great way to Um, Not only get your content out there, but also just get your presence, like as a content creator, um, more widely findable on the internet, I guess, because if you're thinking from the perspective of those um, PR agents or whoever, like that's another great way they can find you.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Those are really great tips. Um, I'm curious, your process now, like obviously you've gotten a lot more experience and this is like a considerable income for you do you currently have any, any type of like manager or assistant helping you? Is that something that you would ever consider? Um, I'm curious because I actually saw um, a TikTok the other day. And it kind of made me think of you. I was like, I wonder what Kaya thinks of this. Um, because it was a content creator talking about like the headline of the TikTok, which is what made it, I think, go viral. Cause it was so like startling. She was like, I paid my manager $20,000 last month or something like that. And she was talking about how um, basically that is the commission, I guess you could call it that her manager got because Um, It was a percentage of her overall brand deal revenue. Um, So anyway, it just made me think, because I I personally don't have a manager at this point. Like I just facilitate all my own brand deals, but curious to hear your reactions to the the world of managers and especially like that high amount of commission.
1: Yes. Okay. So we saw the same TikTok and (laughs) I honestly have always been a no for managers or the concept of management. But that TikTok had me thinking and I do also have some friends who are starting to go in that direction. I right now do everything solo with the exception of my husband helping out with some of the administrative stuff behind the scenes. He rough edits some of my YouTube videos which is very helpful. Um, But other than that it's just kind of the two of us at it. And I do like the idea of management in the sense that it can help release probably a lot of stress that we don't think we have I know we know we have a lot of stress but I think that all this negotiating all the back and forth that we all say is this is just part of the game imagine how freeing it would be if we didn't have to do that but Mm -hmm. at the same time I'm somebody that just likes so much control and yep, same. I don't necessarily see, yeah, right. And the thing is, I don't see what I do necessarily as being like a talent in need of management. I don't see my platform necessarily as, um, you know, how some influencers and content creators are very much personality based. And just by existing, they're yeah. making money and just
0: sharing themselves, they're making money. Oh, to be someone like that. <laughs> Seems so
1: easy. I know, right? <laughs> I've always, it does. I feel like, and I'm, I'm not discrediting what they're doing. I know it's probably like very difficult as mm-hmm. well, but I feel like all of my content has been kind of strategic in the sense that I want to be constantly adding value. I like to educate. I want to share. I eventually want to, you know, do consulting and create eBooks and courses and all that sort of thing and really be my own business owner I don't necessarily see myself as a talent to be booked for different gigs yeah if that makes sense so I see the value of a manager and again if you're a personality brand and I share my personality and you know it's a lifestyle blog and everything but I just don't see myself as that type of creator so I don't see myself ever venturing into management but yeah, yeah I think it's a really cool avenue never say never. <laughs>
0: yeah, totally. I feel like we are yeah, not so much on the same page with that because I've often felt like that too, that, um, well, first of all, there's a, a part of me that is kind of a control freak. So I'm kind of like, I want to know who the brands are that are interested. And I want to be the ones deciding mm-hmm. if it's a good fit or not. Then there's also the piece of like, I don't know that I, I probably should let go of more tasks and delegate better, but I'm sort of like, oh, but I'm already doing that now. Like I couldn't imagine giving up $20,000 just to like not have to send a few emails because I'm, a, I'm out here hustling. Thank I'll you. send the emails. Maybe I would feel differently if I was getting a lot more inquiries than I am now. Um, but then the other piece, I feel like you named it so well of like, I feel like I am a business owner, not like a talent to be managed. Exactly like you said. And I have always felt, um, I think partially because of my experience with my um business and being a freelancer, like I've always felt pretty confident with negotiating prices. Like I'm okay with telling Mm -hmm. somebody what I'm trying to charge and, you know, kind of going back and forth with them. Um, and i I sort of want to have the the oversight on that. So yeah, I feel like my, in what I've seen, and I could be wrong, like a lot of content creators or influencers that go down the path of management, they're the type of people that like, they got into creating content because they're like, have a really big personality. They, you know, make stuff on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, but they never were necessarily that business minded. And so they're kind of like just wanting to find Mm -hmm. somebody that can handle that business side so they can just not think about it. Whereas I feel like probably for the both of us, we're entrepreneurial, like by nature. And so we're like, no, I want to be involved in this.
1: Yes, I think you nailed it. And actually something you said about, you know, being the one communicating with brands. I have built so many great connections and friendships with some of these PR people, with some of the uh, management at these different brands. And I genuinely am like, I can't wait to meet you one day when COVID's over and maybe we can do some in-person events. And I just, some of these people, it's the best part of the job is connecting with them. Mm -hmm. And I could not imagine somebody doing that for me.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know what, like what I will say too, with my kind of limited experience with this, and this is like exclusive tea. I've never talked about this on YouTube because I feel like it'd be unprofessional, but the podcast is where people get the real inside. So Mm -hmm. I, um, kind of sort of started working with this, um, influencer, like management agency back in, I want to say it was like the summer of 2020. And I got connected through like a content creator friend of mine. Um, And I was really excited about it. And I thought, uh, you know, this is going to be a great opportunity to kind of find more brand deals for myself, because I was getting some inquiries coming into my inbox just through, you know, the the PR agencies finding me or whatever, which was great. Mm -hmm. But I was hoping that these management folks would be able to go out and bring more stuff in for me, that it would bring me more opportunities. Um, And so I was really excited about that. Um, And I still sort of have this sort of casual, vague connection with them, but I've only ever really gotten like sort of two opportunities through them. And maybe part of Mm. that is me not being prioritized as much because when they asked like, okay, well, we can assign somebody to like manage your inbox. And I was like, no, I still want to manage all my inbound stuff. I just want you guys to manage my outbound stuff. And there was an agreement there about them getting a percentage of anything they brought my way, which I was totally fine to do.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But some of
0: the initial conversation was like, okay, well, you know, we'd get somebody to, you know, manage your inbox and then like we would get a percent of your inbound stuff. And I was kind of like, okay, but like, why should I pay somebody else money for brand deals? They didn't even find for me, like brand deals that I found through my own merit.
1: (laughs) That's how I feel. Actually, you reminded me that I got a email recently from a management agency and I kindly declined. They were legit and everything, but that's exactly what I was thinking where, you know, you can bring more to the table, but I feel weird giving you a chunk of the stuff that I'm already, already generating. Yeah, exactly. It would
0: be one thing if, you know, they were really able to like, you know, double the number of brand deal opportunities that I had, but, and then especially in the past several weeks, I like at the beginning of 2022, I kind of recommitted myself. And I was like, I'm going to really try to optimize my, you know, brand deal revenue stream this year. I'm really going to try. So I reached out to them and I've followed up with them like four or five times and I cannot get them to like reply to oh. my email. So I'm like, you know what, we're moving on. I just kind of have a bad taste in my mouth now about management stuff. Cause I'm like, do I just like not get enough views for them? Do I not have a big enough following for them to want to spend time on me, but whatever we're out oh. here going solo now.
1: Exactly. And you know what? We have our community to support us and, you know, connect us. And I just, I think we can do just fine on our own.
0: Yes, exactly. And keep a hundred percent of that brand deal rate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So first of all, thank you for sharing all of that great brand deal info. Um, I feel like I kind of know you as like the queen of like brand partnership advice. Like you have such great experience to share, but um, brand deals is not the only thing that you do. And you also have some other impressive accomplishments that I wanted to ask about. So um, first of all, you did some speaking at VidCon Abu Dhabi, which is super, super cool. Um, And you were also a part of Pinterest Canada's creator class. So I'm really curious to hear about how those opportunities came your way and what those experiences have been like.
1: Yeah, I'm still reeling from both of those. I Every so often, I'm like, pinch me. <laughs> Did either of those actually happen? <laughs> but I credit both of them, honestly, to the effort I've put into my blog. My blog has always been my number one home. Sometimes I drop off on consistency, but I've done a lot of the groundwork with SEO, like I was saying earlier, and I leverage Pinterest a lot to drive traffic to my blog. So it's been really self-sustaining even when I take a couple months break from it. So the first part, Google, they reached out to me and my kind of funny story is that I ghosted them the first time. They actually reached out for a PR company and I didn't believe it was real. That's a power move. and That's That's a serious power move to (laughs) be like,
0: Google? No.
1: I was horrified after, <laughs> and it wasn't just once I think I ignored it like twice um but yeah they were like hey we're launching um this new product called web stories and they're kind of like Instagram stories but permanently on your website um for existing on the internet and they were trying to hype it up and I was like meh <laughs> just ignored it And finally, um, the PR person was incredibly kind for pursuing again um, and said, hey, how about I just connect you directly with somebody from Google to explain this better? And I got the opportunity to have a a Google Meets conversation with somebody from the Google for Creators team, had a great conversation, clicked. And from there, we decided that we would do um, a YouTube video which is like a little interview sharing how I make passive income from writing product reviews on my blog. And so that's kind of how the relationship first started. But I definitely don't recommend anybody trying to recreate that. (laughs) But um, yeah, from there, we were already in contact when Vidcon Abu Dhabi was coming up and they were already slated to speak there. And they wanted to bring um, a creator along for each of their two talks. So that it wasn't just like, hey, we're Google, listen to us because we're Google. (laughs) They wanted to be able to show, hey, here's some creators that are living the life and have experience behind this advice that we're sharing. And so we kind of talked back and forth. They said, hey, do you want to go to Abu Dhabi? And that one, I also, when I first got the email, I didn't ignore it, but I didn't think it was real. I had to double check who it was from. And it just was so mind blowing to me. And yeah, it was a whirlwind of a trip. Five days, we gave our talk, had lots of great connections, and... Um... Yeah. It looks like we might even be doing the talk a second time around, but I won't say too much on that. (laughs) That
0: is so exciting. That is such a cool experience. And I honestly feel like that speaks to even what we were just talking about, like the value of having those personal connections with these different brands, because, you know, maybe a manager could negotiate that kind of thing, but I think there's something so powerful about you had this personal connection with somebody from Google and Obviously, they liked you, like you vibed with them. And then when this other opportunity came up, it was like this natural connection. So I feel like it really is about, you know, networking and building relationships. And you never know where that can go. I mean, it might even take you to Abu Dhabi. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) Yes, you nailed it. So let's talk about Pinterest Canada's creator class.
1: Yeah. So that one, I am so honored because Pinterest is something that I am always hyping up. I think. My audience sometimes might be tired of me because every opportunity I can, I'm like, Pinterest, do not sleep on it. And that's just because creating there, it's permanent. Your content has such a long lifespan and you feel like your content's actually getting seen. And so like I said, I've been using it for a really long time to drive traffic to my blog. And I think because I was just using it so consistently, a very natural relationship started growing there. They reached out to me um, a couple years ago, actually, to join them for a little fireside chat interview on one of their sort of creator summits. And I just got to come on and share some of my best practices. And then from there, we kind of just had a relationship and I would do some one-off gigs for them. Then last year, they emailed me saying, Congratulations, you're part of the 2021 creator class. And basically I was commissioned to create regular content for them. And there were only 10 of us chosen and across just a variety of niches. And something that was really cool is that I was the only hair creator, not even just like black hair. It was just hair, period. I was the only one. And it was just an absolute honor. And out is they give you so much flexibility. And I feel like Pinterest just truly values creators. They value them in payment. They value them in supporting them genuinely. I just, yeah, I can't say enough good things about Pinterest.
0: That's so cool. I feel like another great example of just building that relationship and continuing to nurture it over the years and then having these great opportunities come out of it. And I feel like that's just really what all of this is about whether it's these special opportunities with brands um, like Pinterest or, you know, VidCon or Google, or actually building up, you know, the tip, what we typically think of when, when we think of brand sponsorship, it comes down to making yourself available either through using those hashtags, using SEO so that you can be discovered by these folks at brands and then nurturing that relationship over time. And then you never know what kind of opportunities might come out of it.
1: Exactly. I see it as building the foundation and that's why I do not begrudge like my four years of continuing away, not making any money because I truly believe that that's what gave me the foundation to grow to what I have now and hopefully continue to grow.
0: Yes, totally. Well, Kaya, this has been such a great chat. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all of your expertise with us. I'm curious just as a uh, conclusion here. If you have any parting advice for any creators who are listening that are kind of in those beginning stages, like you were for those first few years, just kind of creating a way and hoping to eventually land that first brand deal, what advice or encouragement would you share with them?
1: I have two points I would say. The first is find your people. I credit my friendships in the blogging content creating space. I give them so much credit for me knowing my worth, me being unafraid to negotiate, me being unafraid to, you know, ask for more money and also just keeping me sane. I feel like, you know, when you're kind of struggling and you have those low days because we all have them, it's really nice to be able to turn to your people for support. And the second, just a bit more practical is don't be afraid to pitch and to, Take action and, you know, look up brand emails and just put yourself out there first. It can be incredibly scary, but I think it's a a great way to get on people's radar as well.
0: Such great parting advice. Well, before we close out the show, do you want to let everybody know where they can follow up and find you online?
1: Absolutely. So I am Comfy Girl Curls on every social media handle on the internet. I am comfy girl with curls on the blog and I have a brand new YouTube channel dedicated to sharing all of these content creation tips called creating with Kea.
0: And of course, all of the stuff is going to be linked in the show notes. So make sure you all go and check that out. Thanks again for coming on the show, Kea. Thank you so much for having me. Oh. Thanks so much for listening to the creator club podcast. This show is produced by creatorly media, a social media and content marketing agency by creators for creators. If you want professional help growing your social media platforms or creating your content, come visit us at creatorlymedia.com or at creatorlymedia on Instagram. If you've listened this far into the episode, we want to know who you are. Seriously, thank you so much for listening. Screenshot your podcast app and share it to your Instagram story, tagging at Creatorly Media or at Katie Steckley so that we can chat. Again, thanks for listening and remember to keep on creating. We'll catch you next time.